I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. I'm Lisa Brady. A prescription for the U.S. economy. The White House and Congress working to counter the effects of the coronavirus. But they're not always on the same page. I see determination more than anything else. And the question is, will that determination align up? Uh, And, you know, sometimes politics doesn't always line up. I'm Dave Anthony. The coronavirus keeps spreading in the U.S., but it's nowhere near as bad as it is in Italy. The entire country is now on lockdown. People are urged to stay home. It's hard to keep people down. You know, they're at some point going to break. And April 3rd is is a long way away. Um, A lot of people already are feeling stir crazy. I'm Liz Peek. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. One thing that hasn't been canceled by the coronavirus? Voting. Fox's Jared Halpern has some of the latest results in the 2020 race. It wasn't exactly a super Tuesday, but a significant batch of contests in six states with more than 250 delegates at stake. The majority of those, it would appear, will be awarded a frontrunner Joe Biden, the former vice president, extending his delegate lead on Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders after a decisive win in Michigan, the night's biggest prize. Although, although there's a way to go, it looks like we're going to have another good night. Biden rattled off early wins as well in Mississippi and Missouri. Fox News Radio's political analyst Josh Crossauer says Biden's impressive performance was built on broad coalitions and an underperformance from Sanders, who won Michigan's Democratic primary four years ago. Let's start with the Biden coalition. It's a big, broad Democratic coalition. It includes African-American voters in Detroit and Flint, Michigan. Uh, That's been the base for Joe Biden throughout the whole country. And, And Joe Biden handily won among black voters in the state of Michigan. It includes suburbanites, the moderate voters that, that propelled Democrats to winning the, the House of Representatives in 2018. Turnout was up in, in Oakland County and in, in, in suburban Grand Rapids and a lot of the big affluent uh, precincts across the state of Michigan and overwhelmingly went for Joe Biden. And, and third and most importantly, the working class white vote. That was a big part of the Bernie Sanders coalition. That was what propelled his upset victory against Hillary Clinton in 2016. Well, now those union workers, the blue collar workers that make up so much of the Michigan vote, they like Joe Biden a whole lot more than Hillary Clinton. And they voted for Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders Tuesday night. Next week, another batch of contests that polling suggests could expand Biden's delegate lead. Democrats will vote in Florida, Arizona, Illinois and Ohio. Lisa. Even the campaign trail isn't immune from the coronavirus. Both the Biden and Sanders campaigns canceling rallies planned in Cleveland Tuesday night, citing an abundance of caution and ongoing consultations with public health officials. We would like the country to realize that as a nation, we can't be doing the kinds of things we were doing a few months ago. Dr. Anthony Fauci from the National Institutes of Health at a Tuesday evening briefing with the president's coronavirus task force. The risk to the average American of contracting the coronavirus remains low, but we're absolutely determined to give every American 
the tools and the information that they need. Vice President Mike Pence emphasizing protection and containment efforts. But it's protecting the economy that helps spur a partial rebound on Wall Street. At the top of the president's wish list, scrapping the payroll tax for now. The payroll tax holiday is a bold move. It's a very bold move. And this has always been a bold president. His top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, praising the idea. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer is not. The administration seems to believe that the answer to any problem is another tax cut. He and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi have been critical of the administration's response. We're taking this unbelievably seriously, and I think we're doing a really good job. President Trump had a White House meeting with top health insurance executives, then lunch on Capitol Hill with Senate Republicans while House Democrats work on their own stimulus plans. There has been a very interesting back and forth, sort of a cat and mouse game. We spoke with Fox Business's Edward Lawrence on Capitol Hill. There's no secret that the president is a little annoyed with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, given the impeachment that happened and all of the following events with that. So which is probably one of the reasons that Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has sort of picked up the torch as the lead to see if both sides can work something out for a package going forward. But there is definitely politics that's being infused in this, even though both sides are saying there should be no politics involved in it. Uh, That's in essence what's happening. One of the main things the president mentioned as soon as he started talking about stimulus ideas was payrolls, a payroll tax cut possibility. And then he sort of tweaked it and said payroll relief or some other language. What what's he talking about? What would that mean? Yeah, he's talking about something that happened back in uh, 2010 and 2011. It was a temporary payroll tax relief where employees did not have to pay into that tax uh, the companies collected out of their paychecks. Um, the president, we're understanding, according to Fox News, wants that package to look like uh, no payroll tax uh, being paid by employees through their employer through the election. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to fly. Senator Chuck Schumer saying that, you know, this isn't horse trading going back and forth and he does not see it as a political issue. So the election should not be part of this talk. But in essence, what this is, is that it's that payroll tax. It's the tax that comes out of your paycheck uh, that the company collects and, and goes to the federal government. But then there's a concern about getting a paycheck in general, a special f- especially for hourly workers, Right. And that, that is a concern because you have some folks who are hourly workers. If they don't work, they do not get paid. Um, and that's a big concern, what Democrats are saying up on Capitol Hill and Republicans also. Um, in fact, um, Senator uh, Tom Cotton uh, came out and said that, you know, some people cannot telecommute. Some people need that paid sick leave, especially if you're talking about uh, agriculture industries, some other industries um, that, that a travel industry that may not have salaried workers that totally work for them. So that's one of the things that's being tossed out there. They're trying to figure out what that exactly looks like. But both the president has said that Republicans on Capitol Hill have said they want some sort of that. And Democrats are really pushing for that. Right. But it's not as if you're going to be able to sit back and say, "Okay, let's assume this goes on for X many weeks. We're going to give everybody who's an hourly worker, you know, this much cash to help them weather the economic brunt of this. It's exactly how do you figure out how to help people? 
And, and that's part of the problem. And that's what uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is sitting down with the House Speaker to try and figure out. I have heard, you know, floating some ideas that, um, you know, maybe that looks like people who have been quarantined, forcefully quarantined, um, are somehow paid uh, what they would have made in an hour, hourly situation because um, you have people who are quarantined for 14 days, for two weeks, uh, and that's a lot of time out of their life. That is directly related to the coronavirus. But then how do you do some of this ancillary stuff where, let's say, somebody gets sick in a household and that then translates into the head of the household getting sick, who is an hourly worker. So that this is all stuff that needs to be worked out. Um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, said recently that you know th- this is going could take months to come up with the right kind of package because anything. Um, like a payroll tax, would have to generate out of that Ways and Means Committee. That's the House, and that's controlled by Democrats. The other prong of this is not just the workers, but the overall industries involved. The president keeps saying that he really wants to help some of those most affected, um, like the airlines, the cruise industry. So uh, we are working very closely with them. We're helping them. Uh, They're two great industries, and we'll be helping them through this patch. Is there a sense of how that might happen. I mean, obviously he's not using the word bailout and I haven't heard that industries actually have their hand out at this point, but some of those related CEOs already went to a White House meeting. Well, Senator Lindsey Graham, out of a meeting with the president uh, during a lunch, uh, basically said that senators told the president this needs to be targeted. So it's not it's not going to be a bailout, not not something that you saw like GM, where the government was involved in that for, you know, a decade or less or a little bit less than a decade. Um, That This needs to be targeted, some sort of stimulus uh, to help out. And Senator Lindsey Graham saying that, you know, if you're Purell, then you're probably doing pretty well. But if you're in the travel industry, the president's mentioned that the airline industry, hotel industry, then you're looking down the road here and possibly seeing a lot of cancellations due to the coronavirus. So yeah, it it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, But there are certain, some industries uh, are more affected than other industries when you have something like this. I read something too about a a concern, a larger economic concern um, involving the debt load of certain companies and certain types of businesses. Um, especially with the stock market being so volatile. Have you heard anything on that front, any steps that might be taken in regard to that? I don't know about steps taken to that, but that that is a concern for many folks on Wall Street because you have money's cheap right now. So companies, large firms are borrowing a lot of money. And the Federal Reserve has been very concerned about the amount of corporate debt that is being racked up. So all of a sudden, if there isn't that revenue to pay back some of those loans, does the dominoes start falling? And that's one of the things the Federal Reserve has been working with banks on to try and make sure that banks have enough money to back up those loans should something happen, should a bubble, if you were... uh, Uh, to pop on that front. Also, when you talk about debt, if you're looking at these uh, payroll tax relief, you're talking about a hit to the the Treasury, the deficit. You know, if if you have an extended payroll tax relief, then you could add $2 trillion to the federal deficit if that goes through into next year, as I've seen some figures thrown around like that. So there is an issue with the government would not be collecting as much money uh, through this coronavirus package. So we'll just have to see exactly, again, how it plays out. At the White House meeting that was held with some CEOs on Tuesday, health insurance executives were part of that, and the president and vice president, Mike Pence, announced some steps that they're already taking to help alleviate the impact of all of this. 
That could uh, exactly. Happen. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and, and exactly. I, I could tell you that one of the things that the White House has been key on, and if you want to take sort of a thousand foot look at this, they want to make sure that it's not just the federal government leading this, the state and local. Uh, they've had conversations uh, within the last 24, 48 hours with 47 governors because they're on the front lines. So they want state and local governments to be supported, but also the private sector. And over the past two weeks, they've met with different private sectors. Uh, just recently met with healthcare, the, the CEOs of healthcare, who said the president got them to say that they would cover the cost. There would be no copay for a coronavirus test. Um, also, any deductible related to that would also be paid uh, by the healthcare company and not be passed on to the customer. So he is getting the private sector involved to help out with some of these finances. I feel like this is this whole crisis with this virus is such a reminder of not only how much interaction we have with each other on a daily basis without even thinking about it, but also how much how reliant certain businesses are on other businesses, because if there aren't as many cruises, then the places where those cruises are pulling into port and even for day trips for the passengers are not getting the business from those cruise ships. Or if a museum is closing down, then the small businesses around that museum are not getting the foot traffic. Just so many ripple effects. They just keep expanding. You really see the interconnectivity of the globe. Uh, and this is now the modern business cycle. It's not just dependent upon industries, like you mentioned this, but also around the world. Think of the travel industry. Other than essential travel, you can't go in or out of the country of Italy. Uh, and the Italians come to the United States and spend their money on tourism. We go, the U Americans go to Italy, go, they go to Rome, and they go to different places uh, in that part of the world to see and spend their money. So you can really see the interconnectivity of it all. Uh, and then you have supply chains. You have manufacturing in China that, is, that was stopped, and now it's coming back online just now, uh, but at a, at a reduced rate, maybe 20%, 30% of what they used to uh, for their output. So the demand in the U.S. might have been there, but the products can't get here because they're not being made in China or other places that have factories that shut down because of the coronavirus. You bounce back and forth pretty frequently between Capitol Hill and the White House. What is the general mood in, in the air there in D.C.? Is it one of we need to you know rally together and get some sort of relief package going for this virus or is it not quite there yet? You know, I see one of determination. Um, on no matter which side you look at. I see determination in the White House that they're going to beat this and keep the economic expansion going. I see determination on Capitol Hill from Republicans to support that agenda, to try and get that going. From Democrats, they believe uh, that they have the right ideas going forward uh, to try and help get over this economic crisis that could be coming related to the coronavirus. So I see determination more than anything else. And the question is, will that determination align up? Uh, and, you know, sometimes politics doesn't always line up. Fox Business is Edward Lawrence on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. This is Liz Peake with your Fox News commentary coming up. The coronavirus outbreak may have started in China, but it's ended up all over the world. And as the number of new Chinese cases slows, the spread ramps up in Italy from its first confirmed case just 20 days ago to about 10,000. And in the past week, more people have died from the virus in Italy than in China. 
That has prompted that country's leaders to take drastic steps. A lockdown initially put in place in the northern part of Italy, including Milan, has now been imposed nationwide. Schools and many businesses are closed, so are movie theaters and museums. People are told to stay home, travel restricted. And it's going to be this way until April 3rd. It's a little bit of an honor system because they are not enforcing things terribly strictly. Granted, I have not tried to go to Rome or move from here. Here is Florence, where we caught up with Amy Kellogg. She is a Fox News senior foreign affairs correspondent who got out of Milan to avoid the lockdown, only to end up being locked down. You know, they've been trying to hammer home the issue that we're all responsible for stopping the spread of the disease because obviously no one else can do it but human beings. So I think they're hoping to guilt people into abiding by the rules, but it's difficult. Everyone has different levels of needs in their life, whether it's their work life or their uh, personal life. So um, right now, just trying to get a sense of what this really means and how long it's going to last. I did go out this morning to get some stuff. And the stores were, um, people were frantic in the stores here in Florence about keeping three feet between people. And, and, the, and the salespeople kept going around and, and <laughs> telling people to back away from the next person. And then they were also, three stores, which were quite busy, they were letting people in in groups of nine or ten. Okay. So um, that's kind of on the very basic level, Dave. Now, when we talked, we talked to someone in Wuhan, China, a few weeks ago, uh, and when this was all on lockdown and starting and the outbreak was there, uh, in its in, in more of its infancy, and he talked about when he was going into stores, they were checking temperature before you went into the store. Have they been doing that in Italy? Well, um, intermittently they have been. I mean, when you get off a plane here, they take your temperature. They've been doing that for weeks. Um they also, they were taking the temperatures of people at a, a, a soccer match the other day. These soccer matches are happening behind closed doors, but there have to be some people in the stadium to make the thing happen. Right. So, uh, but they don't, they don't take your temperature when you go into the grocery store. They tell you if your temperature is slightly elevated that you need, you really need to stay home and everyone else is supposed to stay home, but people need to get minimally groceries and and medicines and things like that have you obviously with those stores um is there a sense of panic are people panicking and they can't get a certain item or something that that's a sort of store they need i haven't witnessed the panic my own eyes i do know one thing that has been very frustrating for people uh is the shortage of those masks and also the material gel which is not as common in, in Europe as it is in the United States. Okay. All right. So, and then obviously people are buying up sanitizer here in the U.S. and all everything like that, toilet paper. What, what's it like? You said people are going to the stores, but there, is there any traffic on the streets other than around stores? Um, I was outside yesterday, and I was at the Ponte Vecchio, the iconic bridge, and normally it's crammed with selfie takers, um, and there was nothing was, you know, was completely spectral. Uh, restaurants and bars and, and establishments across Florence and Milan when I was there last week, they're just empty. Um, and now, of course, there's, there are different rules about what can be open when, and, and they may scale that back even further. Uh, I was just reading that they may actually close everything except for grocery stores and pharmacies in the north of Italy, and then 
I don't know what the rest of the country will do, but yeah, I mean, it is, um, you know, it's a great time in a sense to be here because there's, there's no one around and you can, you can get, get around freely, but at the same time, the things you'd want to do in Italy are, are largely closed. Right. You can't go to museums, right? You can't do any of that. No, you can't go. You can't, you can't gather. And, you know, church is also a big part of life here. And, that's, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the rule is, but a lot of churches are canceling masses and that some are allowed to keep going as long as they can guarantee that there'll be three feet between parishioners. As the virus keeps spreading in Italy, that country now has more than 10% of all coronavirus deaths and a much higher rate than the worldwide average. One in 20 Italian patients have died. Now, one reason for that, the population there is older second only to Japan and the percentage of residents over the age of 65, and they are the most affected by this virus. About 90% of those who've died in Italy are elderly. Now, this has hospitals trying to keep up all across the country, especially in the hardest-hit Lombardy region. They're trying to get more ventilators and make more room in intensive care units. Adding to the problem, the Wall Street Journal reports there was Already a doctor shortage in intensive care wards, and with doctors and nurses working overtime, they're also getting sick. 12% of the people infected in that region are medical workers. Italy has a wonderful health care system, generally. I think if you're going to be sick in this country, you want to be sick in the north. But now the north, which is uh, where most of these cases have occurred, is one step away from a collapse. I can't give you the numbers for how many how many beds there are, how many beds there need to be, but it is very close to being a a very dramatic situation. It is clearly stretched to the max now how much longer, you know, how much longer it can go and how they will cope when they go past that point, I think is uh, anybody's guess, but clearly it spooked the government into calling for these draconian measures starting on Sunday about shutting everyone down. You know, when you talk about uh, dealing with all the patients... There are people who have illnesses that are not coronavirus. They're probably going to have to take take a step back a little bit. Surgeries on other things yeah, that might not might not happen. Yes, that's true. They're doing that. Yeah, they're, all non essential things are being put off, um, and doctors' checkups and whatnot have been canceled. Doctors' leave has been canceled. You know, their time off. They've been fast tracking some people into nursing uh, just to cope with the crisis. So, yeah, and I think the big fear of the government, uh, among other fears that they're dealing with now, is that if this spreads to some of the more poor parts of the country, then, you know, the health, the health services really won't be able to, to cope. What about the countries that border Italy? How are they handling it? They don't certainly don't want the same problem to be escalating in their country like it has in Italy. Yeah. Well, I, you know, they've been slowly, slowly blocking Italians from coming into their countries. Um, some Italians, I mean, everyone has their national pride, right? And Italians were first saying, oh, well, it can't just be that we're so sick and the Germans aren't. Probably they're not testing people as much as we are. They're not as open as we, I mean, who knows? But I think the fact of the matter is what the scary bottom line thing about coronavirus is, is that it's like one of the worst ills of globalization. It's, you know, we're great with technology and communications and we can get things moving fast and communicating fast. And now that's including some really uh, 
you know, unknown virus that has mutated and may mutate more and is moving around with the speed of light. So I think there's a sense that it's inevitable that it's going everywhere. Um, and the struggle for democracies is that, you know, you, you can't restrict people's freedoms beyond a certain point. And now you have to be in lockdown until when? Well, they say until April 3rd, but I think that everything is fluid right now. So, um, you know, you are supposed to get a special permission. You're supposed to fill out a form if you want to move from city to city, submit it to the Interior Ministry with a very good reason for traveling. Again, I don't know how much this will be enforced. Um, And it's a tough call because, on the one hand, these... This edict has been put in place for it, thoughtfully and for a good reason. On the other hand, you know, it is, it's hard to keep people down. You know, they're at some point going to break, and April 3rd is, is a long way away. Um, a lot of people already are feeling stir-crazy. And I also think, um, and this is just anecdotal, Dave, but when, when all you hear about day and night on the news is coronavirus here, you're going to start feeling a little bit sick. Uh, we obviously people here, you know, we have far fewer cases than Italy has, but people here are are obviously you see it on the news all day long too, and and it it does affect everybody's psyche. Yeah, and I and I really do believe that, and I think it's all but proven that um, you know your your state your state of mental health has a big impact on your physical health, so. You know, it, it's tough. I got yelled at by a taxi driver the other day just because I'm a member of the media, and he said that we're all really kind of guilty for stirring up people's fears. And and there is a fine line between, you know, dramatically delivering the news and responsibly delivering the news. I think, you know, it is uh, it is important to get information out, but then I think you, you, all of us need to bear in mind that uh, varying types of people and of varying levels of fragility are going to be listening to our broadcast, and they need not to be um, scaremongering, but, but they definitely need to be awareness lifting, don't they? Well, Amy, we wish you the best. Stay three feet away from everybody. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully we'll check in with you maybe later in the month if you don't mind. Sure. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you. Sorry for my communications problems. I'm in my self-isolation spot, which is a little bit high up in the hills over Florence right now. Well, we wish you the best, and thank you so much. Thanks. Download the one, the one with Craig Gutfeld. Jennifer Haramai. Uh, my ex-husband, Neil Haggerty, like, we wrote all the songs together, but then he pieced out and yeah. didn't want anything to do with the mixing. Right. So, you know, you know you're, you're putting stuff in my lap, and you're going to get a little bit of my flavors. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Liz P. What's on your mind? Ronald Reagan said, when you're explaining, you're losing. By that standard, even as he's winning in the primary battle, odds makers give him a 73% chance of winning against Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden is doing a whole lot of losing. The former vice president and his team are working overtime to explain that Biden is not suffering a mental decline. 
A piece in the left-leaning Washington Monthly asserts there is a disinformation campaign being launched against the former vice president and examines the medical definition of cognitive impairment and dementia. The author claims there is no data to support the allegation that is in cognitive decline. There may not be much data, but there sure is lots of evidence. Biden has appeared confused at times, whether it's not knowing what state he's in or talking about Super Thursday. But that is surely not what his campaign wants to be talking about. They need to change the narrative, and they can, by focusing on Joe's pick for vice president. Voters will head to the polls in November, concerned that Biden may not be capable of serving for the next four years and may at some point have to step aside. If elected, Uncle Joe would be 78 upon taking up residence in the Oval Office, the oldest president ever to be inaugurated. Though he tries like mad to project vitality, running up on stage like Tom Cruise, fists and elbows pumping, Biden's age is clearly an issue. The choice of a running mate for Biden could prove critical. But who could help him win the Oval Office? The perfect running mate would be someone who helps Joe overcome deficits in his polling and boosts his chances to win essential toss-up states. Above all else, perhaps, Joe needs a partner who will drive turnout. To date, his candidacy has not inspired, much less excited, Democrats. A recent Economist YouGov poll sheds some light on where Biden needs help. His favorability is a modestly negative six points. That's slightly worse than Elizabeth Warren's four-point deficit, but way ahead, for example, of Mike Bloomberg's 26-point deficit. By comparison, President Trump's favorability spread is minus 10, not far behind Biden's. Where does Uncle Joe fall short? Certainly not with black voters. As we saw in Super Tuesday, African-Americans turn out for Biden. Biden's weak points include the Midwest, independent voters, and whites. As things stand, it would appear that Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota would be the best running mate for Uncle Joe. She's 59 years old and popular in those Midwestern states that could decide the election. Just this past weekend, she was on the trail for Biden in Michigan, a critical must-win state. Senator Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams, who lost the Georgia gubernatorial race in 2018, have also been put forward as possible running mates. Having a female running mate could assuage those Democrat women who blame sexism for Senator Elizabeth Warren and other female candidates coming up short. Even though Biden has much higher favorability with women than Trump, picking a female Veep could boost turnout. After all, that person could become the first woman to break the ultimate glass ceiling. And let's face it, two white guys at the top of the ticket pretty much sabotages whatever claim Democrats have to being the party of diversity. Democrats are jubilant that they have likely squashed Bernie Sanders' prospects and propelled Biden towards the nomination. But the celebration will be short-lived. Next up is beating Trump. And given Uncle Joe's performance on the stump in recent weeks, that is hard to imagine, even with Amy Klobuchar at his side. I'm Liz Peek. You have been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to Fox News Radio's hourly newscast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, visit foxnews.com. 
It's the latest from Fox News Podcasts. The Campaign with Brett Baer. With updates from reporters on the trail and in-studio experts. Brett keeps you informed on the 2020 race. Go to foxnewspodcast.com and download The Campaign with Brett Baer now. Listen to the all-new Brett Baer Podcast featuring Common Ground. In-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle. Along with all your Brett Baer favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.